welcome to Chet Chat. I'm your host, Chet. We've got a great show for you today. We are going to kickstart your heart and have a phenomenal philosophical political discussion about the two-party system. Today we are going to be talking about what makes someone a liberal versus what makes someone a conservative. We're going to talk about the ideological differences, both from the perspective of the party members themselves and and then also from the opposing party. So let's jump right in. What makes someone a liberal from their perspective? Liberals stand on the ideology of being all-inclusive. The term is also progressive, so they pride themselves on being open-minded, accepting of all people, uh, all races, ethnicities, sexual orientations, religions, um, just, just everything. It's a party of inclusion. They also believe in essentially that government is essentially good and that a good government can solve the problems of the masses, that government has the ability, the foresight, the resources to help a lot of people. They tend to they tend to subscribe to the philosophy um that laws should benefit the most people basically and stated differently it's the greatest good for the greatest number of people essentially a utilitarian standpoint on things conservatives or republicans by contrast believe that government more government is not better and that people should be left alone and that less government intervention is good. They, they tend to stand for the ideas of traditional family values, American exceptionalism, uh, that sort of thing. Now, liberals believe that conservatives have a sort of disdain for people that are different from them, that they lack empathy for the cause of minorities and socially oppressed people. By contrast, conservatives believe, believe that liberals have a general disdain for America, believe that America is not a great country, that America uh, does, is not an exceptional nation, and that the nation fundamentally needs changed or altered in some way. Um, obviously, there's a lot of permutations of belief systems within the things that I just mentioned. Um, what I want to start the sort of discussion off with is just kind of piece by piece going through and finding some hypocrisies on both sides. I'll start with conservatives. Conservatives will always tout small government, less government intervention, but you look at their budgets, you look at conservative bills, conservatives when in office are spending just as much money as liberals. I mean, you even look at, you know, how much money is spent under the Trump administration 
And I mean, the national debt has grown precipitously. So Republicans and, and Republicans also talk about state rights and, you know, state rights, individual rights. But that's only true when what the federal government is trying to, to do, they don't necessarily agree with. So, and, and, and now both parties are guilty of this. And, and this is something that you learn about in law school. We, we talked about it in law school. You only hear people arguing for state rights when the federal law that is in question or trying to be passed is something you don't agree with. If they're trying to pass a law, I mean, think about it this way. You don't hear conservatives talking about state rights when the idea of a national concealed firearm license is discussed. You know, the, the idea that people should have that state, uh, I'm sorry, that a concealed weapons permit should have reciprocity among all states and that basically your concealed weapons permit should function like a driver's license and that you should it should be recognized in all 50 states. You don't hear them say, well, you know what, that violates the notions of state rights, that each state should have the ability to recognize or not recognize. And so that's an area of hypocrisy amongst the um, mainstream conservatives, mainstream Republicans. And like I said before, talking about, you know, small government, less spending. Well, you know, they're spending a lot of money. It's just different priorities, right? I mean, they're spending on defense. They're spending on, you know, law enforcement. They're spending on, on different things. Um, so you, you don't see, you know, under a, a conservative administration, you don't see this drastic drop in federal spending. You don't see the slashing of federal agencies and budgets um, like but they they talk about being the party of small government so that's an area of just blatant hypocrisy talking about liberals the party of open-mindedness and inclusiveness are you kidding me are you kidding me maybe years ago but the current liberal party is the most closed-minded party that I think we've ever seen. Oh, they're open-minded as long as you agree with them, right? I mean, you, you will not see a, a liberal or especially a true far-left liberal say, although I wholeheartedly disagree with what you're saying, I absolutely support your right to say it. That's something that our First Amendment jurisprudence was built on. That is a foundational statement about America, is that although we may disagree with what you say, we absolutely and wholeheartedly support your right to say it. You don't see that. Now, what the left is doing is if they don't like what you're saying, they call it hate speech. And they say that hate speech should not be protected. That... Oh, this hate speech is inciting violence and it's it's hurting people, so you shouldn't be allowed to say it. The left may it possibly used to be very open-minded and inclusive, but there is nobody that can rub two brain cells together that can sit there and with an honest straight face say the current climate of the liberal party is one of inclusiveness. Are they including? Christian conservatives, uh, heterosexual people, uh, pro-Second Amendment, absolutely not. Inclusiveness and open-mindedness is specifically targeted towards left-wing agendas. So there's a, there's a very uh, blatant 
uh, level of hypocrisy there. Going back to conservatives, in discussing the COVID crisis and the need for security, we have heard conservatives say things like, oh, well, you know, um, freedom is dangerous and, you know, there's what's the point of having our country if we don't have freedom? We need to focus on quality of life um, over simply the preservation of life and that, you know, preserving life when that life has absolutely no quality um, is, is kind of pointless. And I understand that and I agree with that um, for the most part. I, I really do. Where I see a little bit of hypocrisy is in the allocation of federal funds where they will spend an unlimited amount of money on national defense to keep us safe, but very, very hesitant to spend money on social programs that might raise the quality of life. So things, you know, like making healthcare more accessible to people, education, um, you know, environmental protection initiatives, you know, and the thought process is, well, we have to be a country. We have to preserve our country above everything else. You know, we have to maintain the security of our country. It doesn't matter, you know, our healthcare system, our parks, um, our public transit, you know, jobs, all that stuff doesn't matter if we're invaded and we're overthrown and, and our country ceases to exist. So they really need to, to temper that viewpoint of, hey, at a certain level, we have to truly ensure the quality of life. We can't just throw unlimited funds at defense. Now, with that said, I do understand the, the, the pivotal need to maintain our national security, and I do believe it is appropriate for us to spend a lot of money on defense. I think it's appropriate for us to decide that, you know, we're going to spend more money on defense than any other country. And that's fine. Um, the way I look at it is imagine you're in a small city or a small village and people are building up a wall around you, a stone wall um, to keep out the enemy. And this wall is, is in a circle. So it encircles the village. And they want to continue adding blocks to the wall. And that's resources and that's money. And the village does not necessarily have enough food or enough medical resources. And people are saying, hey, instead of buying more stones to build that wall even higher and higher and higher, why don't we, you know, buy cucumbers? Why don't we buy some cows and some pigs and, you know, be able to feed everyone and be able to have, you know, have more medicine here? And, you know, the people building the wall will say, well, if, you know, if the enemy gets in and, and overruns us, then it doesn't matter what our healthcare system is. We're not going to have a country. But there comes a point where we, we have to make a judicious decision where we look around and say, you know, are we really in, in, uh, in danger of being overrun? And I don't know the answer to that. I don't, I mean, I don't think that we know as everyday citizens, as civilians, we don't necessarily know how threatened we are from foreign invasion. I, I believe, just based on the 
you know, news reports that I've seen based on, you know, knowing what we spend on defense, I think the likelihood of someone invading our soil in a traditional attack is practically impossible. I mean, we, we are very well defended. I think the more likely thing is terrorist attacks, which is what we've seen. And to protect against terrorist attacks, there are other things that you have to do other than just, you know, add more bases and add more troops and add more, you know, fighter jets and nuclear bombs and, and stuff like that. So, but in any event, getting back to the main point, Republicans and conservatives need to do a better job of reconciling this idea of, well, we're not just going to preserve life at all costs. We also need to ensure the quality of life for our people. That attitude, if it's going to be present in the COVID discussion, also needs to be present in the discussion of federal resource allocation. One thing that truly sets liberals and conservatives apart is that conservatives have a have a strong affinity for individual rights whereas liberals have a, a desire to protect the rights of the masses and the rights of the group as a whole i'm not making a value judgment on that those are two competing viewpoints um, i know that i personally prescribe as a as a libertarian i prescribe to the idea of uh, individual rights and this, and I, I'll preview this with saying that a lot of what Republicans claim to believe are actually libertarian viewpoints. And so basically what I mean by that is the libertarian party actually espouses the viewpoints that the Republicans claim to have, but in all reality usually don't practice that. So what do I mean by that? So a good example of prioritizing individual rights over the rights of the group is this. Let's say, and I like to think about macroeconomics um, in, the, in an example of living in a small village. If you think about things as if we were in a small village, you know, with say a hundred people or a thousand people, the pragmatism of various decisions and laws oftentimes make more sense. So let's say you are in a village of a hundred people, assuming, you know, our currency, current inflation, all that kind of stuff, but in a village of a hundred people, there's no outside forces, anything like that. And one person has a trillion dollars, right? One person has a trillion dollars. Everybody else, all other 99 people in that village are relatively poor and barely have enough to feed their families or don't have enough to feed their families. Liberal ideology would say that it is appropriate to pass a tax law or some resource allocation law that essentially confiscates the majority of that person's wealth and distributes it to the other 99. Why? Because that would benefit 99% of the population. Okay. The Republicans, conservatives, fiscal conservatives would say, well, it, you know, it's not appropriate to confiscate that person's money. That's their money. Regardless of who else it would benefit, it is simply immoral to confiscate someone's capital, their resources, for no reason. 
They didn't do anything wrong. Now, if you, you know, if we want to have the conversation about how did he get the money and all that kind of stuff, that's a different conversation. Okay. And there should absolutely be laws against unjust enrichment, against fraud, deceit, unfair business practices, of course. But just assuming that someone rightfully obtained or acquired property. Fiscal conservatives, um, libertarian viewpoint is that is that person's money. It should not be taken from them um, simply to benefit other people. So it is prioritizing the rights of the individual over the rights of the masses. Now, you can unpack that uh, example a lot of different ways, but that's just a basic example of, uh, you know, where I think everyone would agree. I think, you know, liberals would agree, yes, in that scenario, I would support confiscating that person's wealth. And I think most conservatives and libertarians would say, I don't support confiscating that person's wealth. And having a discussion about the pros and cons of that situation would be very, uh, very enlightening on that issue. And it could really get down to some of the philosophical differences between the two thought processes. But where Republicans oftentimes depart from this idea of protecting individual liberties is in the arena of criminal justice. Okay, so what happens when someone's charged with a crime or convicted of a crime? That is a situation where an individual is having their rights stripped from them where their liberty is taken from them. And it is for what is the idea is that it is for the good of the masses. It is to protect the community, right? So, but you oftentimes see Republicans and conservatives opposing rules that would help or assist a criminal defendant. Rules that make it easier for them to appeal. Rules that make it harder to obtain a conviction in a criminal case. Typically, the conservative right opposes that, citing public safety. But what are they actually saying? When you are citing public safety over individual rights, you are saying the rights of the group as a whole trump the rights of the individual. That that individual's right to a more fair trial or a, let's say, a greater presumption of innocence should be subservient to the group or the society's need to protect itself by incarcerating you and removing you from the general population. So a true conservative, a, a person who truly prioritizes the rights of an individual will oftentimes champion criminal justice reform that helps a criminal defendant. Not always, and as a you know, defense attorney, former former prosecutor, you know, I, I, I consider myself an expert in the criminal justice system. Not all rules are fair or necessary. And sometimes a rule that purports to help actually causes more harm than good. And I get that. But you can't have this knee-jerk reaction to oppose any rule that would help or assist a criminal defendant and in the same breath, call yourself a conservative that champions individual liberty over the needs of the masses. Speaking about uh, criminal justice, liberals will oftentimes oppose the death penalty and will say that life is precious and that even a convicted murderer should not be put to death. But then you look at their abortion policies.
and I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. I don't want to ostracize people, but I'll just I'll just leave that out there. That there are many true leftists, not not centrists, not moderate Democrats, but leftists that would absolutely oppose the death penalty for a convicted murderer, a child rapist, somebody violently rapes and murders people because life is precious, because, because nobody should be killed, right? But in the same breath, will support full-term abortion of a fully viable baby. I can't even begin to comprehend that hypocrisy. The last thing I'm going to talk about is the difference in approaches to the COVID crisis between liberals and Republicans. And a lot of people have said, you know, I wonder why this has become such a political issue. One theory is that the president early on downplayed the severity of COVID. And so the reaction by the left was to say, well, he's an idiot. It's extremely dangerous. And then from then out, from then out, everyone just digs their heels in, right? From then out, you know, if you're a liberal, you're saying, oh, this is so incredibly deadly because you want the virus to be as deadly as humanly possible because you want the president to be wrong. And if you're a conservative, you want the virus to just be the common cold to show that he's right and to show that the mainstream left is just out to get him. And everybody digs their heels in. That's one way to look at it. That's one theory. And I think it's a legitimate theory on why everyone has taken a political um, approach to how they view this uh, this virus. I think another explanation, though, could be that people's response to COVID is also the reason that they are the political party that they are. Well, let me say that again. The underlying emotions, the underlying thought process that causes someone to view COVID a certain way is that same underlying thought process or attitude that causes them to have their political affiliation. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, a traditional, true conservative believes that they don't need government to help them. They don't need nor want government telling them what to do that they can protect themselves, they can protect their family, and they just want the government to keep their hands off. So when the government says, close down your business, when the government says you can't work, when the government says you can't, your kids can't go to school, you have to wear a mask in public, a conservative is going to resent that. Even if they think that that might be a good idea from an epidemiological standpoint, from a public health standpoint, that it might be warranted. They don't like the government mandating that they take certain action or inaction, especially uh, shutting down businesses. Conversely, liberals believe that the good of the masses outweighs an individual right and that government is essentially good that government has access to information and resources and works to serve people's best interests. So if the government thinks that wearing masks and shutting down businesses is going to help our society as a whole, then people as individuals need to be willing to comply. People as individuals need to be willing to not go out to eat, to have to wear a mask in public. Individuals should be willing to 
you know, give up their jobs, to not have a job, to, you know, sacrifice their small businesses so that the masses can be healthier, so that the mass of people can, uh, can thrive. And so I think that if you're, if that's your core belief system, whether it be what I mentioned for conservatives or whether it be what I mentioned for liberals, that could also drive your response to COVID and all the regulations surrounding it. 